everybody to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray, and I'm here just simply to introduce the fact on this episode, episode 291, this episode that has come out after, uh, you know, months of hiatus between Dave and I and Tag Your It, uh, hitting your favorite podcast app, hitting YouTube. Um, this is going to be a two-part uh, episode, so uh, please uh, listen to this, chew on it, and then next week come back for the uh, finish where we get more into the deeper subject material with Chuck Kelly. So thank you guys for watching and being a part of the Tag Your It podcast. Welcome everybody to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van Beber. And uh, now that uh, we are back in action and putting up podcasts and getting on YouTube and getting back into this thing after a few months, we are starting off uh, having a wonderful guest. It's uh, Dr. Chuck Kelly. He's the president emeritus and distinguished research professor of evangelism at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. That's a lot of words. How are you doing today, sir? Doing very well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're the first seminary president we've had on our program, so we're really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not the last. I hope that is correct. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully we can get some some Al Mohler action sometime. You never know. (laughs) Well, Dr. Kelly, if you don't mind, Adam, to give you a little bit of introduction, but just tell us just a little bit about what you're doing these days and uh, share with us just a little bit uh, about your new book. Okay, well, uh, I'm Chuck Kelly, and I'm an evangelist by calling. That's my basic calling. And God led me to invest that calling in the world of theological education. So I was on the campus of New Orleans Seminary for 42 years as a student and faculty member and eventually president for 23 years and have been doing research on Southern Baptist evangelism all the way through. That was the subject of my dissertation as a doctoral student. And I just continued my research all the way through my life in ministry. We have gotten to such a very serious place in the story of Southern Baptist that I felt a great need to dive into some deep and significant research and reflection on the state of evangelism in the SBC. And that was one of the primary reasons why I I retired from the presidency at NOBTS Uh, to do research. And so that's what I'm doing now, uh, researching Southern Baptist evangelism and uh, writing about it and speaking about it. That has culminated now in the publication of a book entitled The Best Intentions, How a Plan to Revitalize the SBC Accelerated Its Decline. And it is an assessment of the Great Commission resurgence. Back in 2010, the Southern Baptist Convention passed a series of proposals under the general category of Great Commission resurgence that were intended to revitalize evangelism in the SBC uh, and to spark renewed engagement with the Great Commission among Southern Baptist churches. Uh, Having spent all my life in all my adult life in the academic world, whenever you have a major initiative in the academic world, uh, you assess it. And that's required of all accredited schools And so it's something that I've been involved with through decades. And I just thought that I would take lessons I learned in assessment and just say, okay, what did happen after the Great Commission resurgence was approved? Southern Baptists have a habit of passing major initiatives and just moving on, uh, (laughs) going on to the next thing without ever looking back and saying, well, whatever happened when we did X 
or why. So you have to have time and you don't do an assessment in less than 10 years. Five years gives you an initial indication, but 10 years is your ideal block of time. And so I waited for 10 years to jump into this and we hit that 10 year point. Uh, and so I just kind of went through and looked at every one of the proposals included in that action by the 2010 convention and just simply asked the question, so what happened after that proposal was approved? And the book tells that story. That's what it's about. The bottom line is the news is not good. Yeah, uh, not only good. did it not re-engage Southern Baptist with the Great Commission, the last decade or so has actually been more of a Great Commission regression than a resurgence. So that's mm. kind of the bottom line for the book. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for giving us that overview. And I just want to begin, you know, this morning I had breakfast with a pastor, with a retired pastor who is a pastor of a Bible church. And one of the things he had just in, insisted upon was you do not realize how important the Southern Baptist Convention is, even for our non-denominational churches. But let's step back real quick. And uh, I, I, we never know exactly who gets to listen to our program. Help me out with those who maybe don't have a complete understanding of the SBC. Um, why is the SBC kind of unique uh, compared to other denominations just in its, its framework and the way that it functions? Well, the Southern Baptist Convention is a family of independent autonomous churches who cooperate together in order to fulfill the Great Commission. That cooperation is voluntary. Now, what that means is that nobody's in charge of anything in the Southern Baptist Convention outside one particular unit. There's no authority over any local church. There's no authority over the six seminaries. Each seminary stands completely on its own. There's no authority over the International Mission Board, over the North American Mission Board, except their trustees. This is one reason that makes the Southern Baptist Convention so relevant. It's not a headquarters dictating what everybody in the convention has to do. It's autonomous, independent churches choosing to work together to fulfill specific objectives. And that's who the Southern Baptist Convention is. And uh, that cooperation is literally the superpower of the Southern Baptist Convention. And the better we cooperate, the more we're able to do. And so what happened is this very unusual structure. And there is not another denomination quite like this. It's confusing and befuddling to outsiders. Whenever we would have accreditation visits, for our seminary to remain accredited, the visiting team would always ask me, please explain the Southern Baptist Convention, because it doesn't work like Methodists or Episcopalians or Presbyterians or, or Congregationalists or Catholics or anybody else. It's a very unusual approach to an organization that has both unified action without unified control. So very unusual. Yeah, that's what makes us different. Well, let me jump real quick to that second question, and Adam will jump back in here with us, Dr. Kelly. Uh, tell me a little bit about the Great Commission resurgence and uh, kind of define that and tell us why that was such a monumental piece that was passed in 2011. Is that correct? 2010. 
Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Passed in 2010. Well, the Southern Baptist Convention is experiencing something that it has never faced before, and that is decline. And the Southern Baptist Convention started with Baptist churches scattered all over the deep south of the United States. And that's where we, we were primarily located and did just about everything we did within that southern part of the United States until roughly the post-World War II era. During that first hundred years of our existence, one of the issues was figuring out how the then home mission board, we call it North American Mission Board now, but how did this organization created to help evangelize the United States work with the local churches and the state conventions and the associations of churches who were all doing the same thing and how could all of those interact? Well, towards the end of World War II, the late 40s, early 50s, Southern Baptists figured out that relationship. And when they figured out that relationship and they got everything flowing in a harmonized, in a unified, cooperative kind of direction, Southern Baptists exploded out of the South into all 50 states and began becoming the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, which we have been for some time. And so when you look at our stats, you can see it's hockey stick growth. You can see we were at this level and boom, all of a sudden we're up there at this enormous growth. And then for a long time, 25 years or so, we were on a plateau, which meant we would go up and we would go down and then we would go up again and then we go down again. And it would fluctuate, but it stayed within the same general range. We stayed about the same size as we were. And then something happened. And I use the year 2000 as a marker because I tracked the total number of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention and the total number of baptisms by those churches. And for the last 100 years, 75 years of Southern Baptist life, Nearly every year, we, we were having more baptisms than churches. The, the baptisms were going up along with the number of churches. But in the year 2000, baptisms began to go down, and the number of churches kept going up. So Southern Baptist churches were baptizing fewer and fewer people. It never went back. That was the first indicator of decline. However, by 2010, that decline was creeping into every denominational statistics. And Southern Baptists were getting smaller in membership. We were losing members. We were losing worship attenders. We were losing Bible study attenders. Uh, giving was going down, number of church plants. So decline was setting in. And there was a growing recognition that we were having a problem and so would, it's quick would you say then that becomes kind of the background for the great commission resurgence then looking at some of those numbers is that yeah. correct and yeah how do we turn it around was basically the the question can we do more than we're doing right now and there had been two or three efforts to do that before and a matter of fact, when I started this project to assess the Great Commission resurgence, I quickly realized that first of all, I needed to document 
the growth of decline to the Southern Baptist Convention. And I wrote a little book called The Dilemma of Decline, and I just went through and documented when decline began and how Southern Baptists started responding to it. And after I did all that and, and created that big picture, I went back specifically and looked at the Great Commission resurgence. And so it was an effort to try to re-engage afresh Southern Baptist churches with the Great Commission. So let me step back real quick, because as I hear it from you, in 2000, we began to see no longer this plateau, but we began to see baptisms going down, cooperative program giving going down. We see church plants going down. So Johnny Hunt, am I correct, was one of the major framers of the Great Commission resurgence. Is that? Johnny, yes, Johnny Hunt was elected president of the Southern Baptist Convention in 2009. And so at that well, 2008, 2009 was his first convention, and he asked the convention to allow him to appoint a task force that would be called the Great Commission Resurgence Task Force to make recommendations on how we could re-engage with the Great Commission. In 2010, that task force brought its report and recommendations to the convention meeting in Orlando, Florida. And that's where the proposals came from, from that task force. And it was a very, uh, it was controversial because of the approach the task force took. And the discussion about it was not about the Great Commission. There was, there was, no, there was no discussion about evangelism and mobilizing our churches and doing more to reach people for Christ. The whole discussion, and it was an hour, which is an eternity by convention standards. The typical business discussion of the SBC is three to five minutes. And it went for an hour with that time being extended two or three times. Uh, and it was all about funding proposals, not about reaching lost people, which was very interesting. So let me make sure, as I read the book, one of the major components that I noted was there were uh, tenets that were set out, and those tenets redefined the relationship between the North American Mission Board and state conventions and how that partnership would work. Could you maybe kind of explain not only of course, there's this absence of what it means, of course, for the North American Mission Board to do evangelism, which was a major piece. But what did that relationship change to and why is that so critical to being able to assess the um, the level of success with the Great Commission resurgence? All right. Let me go back to my opening comments. You had for the first hundred years of the convention a very. Uh, rough kind of attempt, a very unorganized way to try to figure out how do the pieces of the Southern Baptist Convention work together to reach this nation? Local churches, associations in an area, state conventions, and the national entity of the Home Mission Board. They're all trying to do the same thing, reach America. How in the world are they able to do that? And they just, nobody was doing anything bad or anything evil. It was just awkward. It was just awkward. 
and they couldn't quite figure out how to make it work smoothly. Then in the late 40s, they started to figure it out. And basically the proposed solution was for the home mission board to enter into an agreement with each state convention so that the state convention would say, this is what we want to accomplish in our state convention to reach our state for the Lord. And the home mission board said, well, this is what we would like to accomplish towards reaching this part of the United States for the Lord. And they hammered it out, couldn't leave the room until both parties agreed, this is what we're going to do for the next three years. This is what you'll pay for. This is what we will pay for. So everybody knew this is what the convention and its associations and churches were going to do. And this is what the national convention is going to do. And this is where the money's going to come from to pay for these things. Coming, And that co was called a cooperative agreement. And it was not one agreement for all the state conventions. It was an individual strategic agreement between the home mission board and each state convention. So you had a decentralized, coordinated plan to reach the country state by state, area by area, and people knew what we were going to do, how we were going to do it, and how it was going to be paid for. Now, when all of that became systematized, things started really exploding. Now, because of that principle of autonomy, no one was in charge of everything, there was always friction. And you can imagine some of those meetings between the home mission board reps and state convention reps, where they're trying to sort out who's gonna do what, where's the money gonna come from. There was always some friction involved, just as there is in a business partnership. Uh, you know, the common thing is a band. How many times have we seen a very popular band like the Beatles get extremely popular, very successful, and then they have friction with each other because they can't agree on things and they have to they either fall apart or they figure it out. So that friction was always there, never went away completely, but it was all moving in the same direction and it never destabilized. It just kept everything moving. So the Great Commission resurgence said, end the cooperative agreements. And, they and the North American Vision Board is not going to be required to have a partnership with state conventions anymore. And whatever happens, happens. And it just, it just pulled apart what had been working to centralize what we would do to reach North America in Atlanta and not do it with a regional strategy supplemented by national strategy. So as I think back to around that time period, my dad has been, again, a bivocational pastor in Kansas uh, for 38 years at the same church. Uh, when he first started, he was considered a frontier missionary by the Home Mission Board. Yep. For years, uh, the little church that he pastored 
received some money from the home mission board. The director of missions and his association also received. That little church uh, planted a series of, I believe, three churches in that about 38 years. Uh, Always want more. But then I remember around that 2010 marker, my dad shared with me that he had sat down with his director of missions and there was no longer going to be that funding. And in that same time, I remember this massive growth in the send network and to focus on all material these are send cities uh people like my father and their church who gave to the cooperative program 10 percent actually of all all ties and offerings is in their budget uh they began to disconnect with the north american mission board is that a common story and that's not just localized to kansas what are some of those other ramifications that we've seen for those as you stated before, the majority of those what we'd maybe call normal-sized churches. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. The whole mission board, now North American Mission Board, pulled out its funding from associations and from state conventions, and they put all that funding in their national strategy. So the church planting budget at the North American Mission Board went from $25 million to almost $75 million, which is a huge, that's like a 300% increase in budget. Mm-hmm. And the state conventions were left to try to figure out how to make things work without that money. And NAM would provide subsidy money just for church plants that they themselves started or agreed to start. And so it disrupted the entire nationwide network of state conventions and associations and the relationships that had been there. And it happened very fast. So when I think Great Commission, I think Matthew 28, 19, 20, and I think about a focus on evangelism around that same time, uh, I remember the church that I was attending Uh, We had this um, God's plan for sharing, and it basically just disappeared Um, for a document that was to address a a great commission. uh, We also noted, you noted this in your book, citing the 2019 SBC annual that the North American Mission Board president said this. We serve pastors and churches in two primary ways, send relief our Compassion Ministry and SIN Network, our church planning network. They've completely changed their focus. What what year did that occur, and what have we kind of seen as a result of that? Well, the Great Commission Resurgence Task Force did not mention evangelism. They made no proposals at all related to evangelism. Hmm. They said to the North American Mission Board, we want you to put 50% of your budget in church planting. And they made that recommendation without any recommendation on evangelism. So the North American Mission Board basically defunded most of evangelism. They eliminated personnel positions. That uh, program that you refer to, the God's Plan for Sharing, Again, a response as people began to realize the evangelism problems we were having, they put together, the North American Mission Board put together a task force 
of representatives from state conventions, from associations of churches, and from the North American Mission Board personnel to come up with a master plan for how to present the gospel to every person in America. And they came up with a strategy that would allow Southern Baptists to share the gospel with every person in America within 10 years. It was a 10-year strategy with multiple layers on how to do it. And that 10-year strategy to share the gospel with every person in America was scheduled to launch in 2010. That was the same year the Great Commission resurgence proposals were adopted. But the task force did not make any reference to that God's plan for sharing initiative. Did not incorporate, that's already done, it's already set up, Every, the resources have been developed, everything's been field tested and everything, it's all right there, but they completely ignored it as if it did not exist. They said to the North American Mission Board, they didn't say defund evangelism, they just said spend 50% of your budget on church planting and how they're gonna get that 50%, they took it away from evangelism and from state conventions and associations. And so that's what happened. And, the, and they disbanded the God's plan for sharing team almost immediately after the GPS was adopted, after the Great Commission resurgence was adopted. So the evangelism that had always characterized Southern Baptist since 1906, it was 1906 when the convention voted and assigned promoting and assisting churches with evangelism to the whole mission board as one of their basic ministry assignments. They've been doing that since 1906, and it ended with the Great Commission resurgence proposals. Mm -hmm. And the North American Mission Board is still, they're, they're trying to do some things now, but it's nothing like what we did. Yeah. So, so we have a driver... Oh, yeah, I was just wanting to ask a little question since I've had my little, little problems here and there with the video and audio. Uh, but anyway, like I just uh, to get into like what we're just talking about here. Um, so just to kind of break down uh, maybe some distinctions here, um, because in my mind, I'm thinking like church planting, you know, just in good faith at some level here um, is church planting uh, evangelism. Um, how is that? How is the uh, what's the difference here? and uh, what's going on and spending the dollars on church planting um, and not evangelism. Like what, what, are, what kind of distinction are we uh, having here in this church planting and evangelism um, debacle? They are related, but they are not identical. Okay. Okay. So let's look at Acts. Yeah. And Paul is going to start a church. He's a, Paul's a missionary church planter. Everybody agrees on that. Paul goes to Philippi. How does Paul start First Baptist Philippi? He goes down to the river where spiritual people gather. He leads a lady named Lydia to Christ. He casts demons out of a little servant girl and she becomes a Christian. He is arrested, thrown in jail. He leads his jailer to Christ. He leads the jailer's family to Christ. And Paul has to leave town, but that church is started as a result of winning people to Christ. You don't have to do evangelism to start a church. You can find Christians who are not members of a church. You can find Christians who are disgruntled. 
with their church. You can start a new church by making other churches smaller or by just bringing in unaffiliated Christians. And you can have a new church going without ever baptizing anybody. So evangelism and church planting, they're not the same thing. They are certainly related, but they are yeah, not identical. Yeah. So when you stop emphasizing the one and you push it off to the side and all you're talking about is church planting, you're not talking about evangelism. The other major yeah. issue is we have about 45,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. At most, at most, we have maybe 5,000 churches who are connected in some way to NAM's church planting program. Now, that includes a church that said they're going to pray for church planting. They'll be included in that 5,000. They're not churches that are engaged in it. They just have some kind of connection to church planting. That leaves 40,000 churches that are not engaged. So everything you're doing about church planting is being heard by those 5,000, but what are you saying to them about reaching their communities? And church planting is about starting a church where it's needed, where there is no church, where there is no evangelical witness. But what about the guy who runs the dry cleaner in your town who doesn't know Christ? The church planning discussion is not mobilizing you to tell your dry cleaner about Jesus or the children of your friends who are not Christians. And that underneath that a church always does to reach the people in its community is a different thing than what a church would do to start a new church. So you're not talking about reaching the community for Christ. You're talking about partnering to start a church in Pittsburgh. Need a church yeah. in Pittsburgh. <laughs> but in that small town in Kansas, you also need to be telling people about Jesus. How do you do that? How do you get yeah. people mobilized for that? Yeah. So that's the problem when you don't when you talk about them together, which Nam had always done. The church planning budget was always bigger than the evangelism bu budget. You'll never find a year with a larger evangelism budget than church planting budget. The Home Mission Board and NAM had always talked about the two things together. Then mm. after the Great Commission resurgence, they just took evangelism out of the discussion. And they stopped challenging churches to reach their communities for Christ and yeah. mobilizing people in the congregation to tell their friends and their neighbors and their coworkers about Christ. They're only talking about church planting. Well, those are. Do you see what I mean about its different yeah. skill sets? Oh no, no, and I, I, no, I appreciate you taking the time and doing that because it, get, it gets into that like, uh, like that framework of just like a one versus a many thing. So like, you know, basically to kind of break that down and put it into the technical uh, terminology, you know, like you're you're going in and you almost produce churchianity. You're 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 producing the cult of the expert. So you you throw a church bodies are already there instead of that grassroots like a church sends out people to an area they go evangelize the dry cleaner they go to the barber they go over to uh the the grocery store and so like paul they're going around it seeking individuals 
and then bringing them in instead of going like come to church it's come to christ and then a church is developed uh, organically and it's not going to be pragmatic it's not going to follow the rules it's going to follow the spirit which blows where he wants to blow and you don't hear it but you'll end up seeing the results right and so that's you know like that's not the that's not pragmatic enough or you can just already have a you can just drop down a church building that looks really good and say come to us come to us and then you get i'm the expert pastor come to me and you almost have uh people that again like they're worshiping the church they're not really worshiping the christ of the church because you kind of skipped a step and so this is that sort of that one in many battle uh, because of pragmatism um it's easier to just throw money build a building put up some signs get some advertisements and get people in the door but did you actually create disciples or did they yeah. come because it's a good feeling and stuff like that? So yeah. I thank I mean, you for making that distinction. Yeah. yeah, but just like just wanting to put it in to what I started with before <laughs> before my phone went weird on me anyway. But just kind of putting it in that framework where we're seeing this that that struggle between um, you know having having diversity, which is good, and then having unity within that diversity, which is what the Southern Baptist Convention is supposed to be, being autonomous churches cooperating together. And it's been the Great Commission task that has held the Southern Baptist Convention together because that has been the dominant conversation in the Southern Baptist Convention. And that is something that the greatest number of people will agree on. Now, mm -hmm. I live in Alabama now, and if you start a conversation about football in Alabama, automatically there are two sides. You got Auburn and you got Alabama, and there is nothing in between. Mm -hmm. Automatically, it's a polarized conversation. So, yeah. If you let those uh, that if you let that unifying force drift that Great Commission focus, that evangelism focus, let's reach our nation for Christ. You let other things come into the conversation and dominate the conversation, and they divide. You know, mm -hmm. just just don't don't let the conversation in your Sunday school class get to football on Sunday morning, or you'll never get back to the Bible. You know, because <laughs> yeah. the Bible is what pulled everybody together, but football can pull them all apart in a heartbeat. So you've got to keep that unifying comfort. And what's happened now is we've lost the thread of that unifying conversation of reaching our nation, reaching our community, our nation, our world to Christ. And we've turned the conversation over to things that people disagree with. <laughs>